This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, oh, is a creepy one. One from the program Suspense. It's entitled, Will You Make a Bet with Death? A young man bets his life against the $25,000 his uncle promises him if he can escape being murdered. The episode opens on a summer day on Coney Island where Betty Andrews, having already been on all the other rides, buys a ticket for the Haunted Mill Ride. Let's see if the hair in the back of your head will rise to the occasion. Will you make a bet with death? and the prowling step, the stir of nerves at the ticking of the clock, the rescue that might be too late, the crime that is almost committed, mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventures. We invite you to enjoy stories that keep you in suspense. Can a man stake his life against $25,000? Can another and cleverer man track him down like a hunter, stalking his prey and kill him within five hours? Can you make a bet with death and win? For suspense, tonight we present Will You Make a Bet with Death by John Dixon Carr. Colored with bathing suits. There's the boardwalk, all straw hats and summer dresses. There's the Ferris wheel and the roller coasters. There is all humanity eating hot dogs and having a good time. And over there, beyond that souvenir shop, is the haunted mill. Get into a little boat. You float through a narrow tunnel into the dark while witches scream. But that fools nobody. Does it? There couldn't be any real terror. Could there? While the bands are playing and the crowd goes by and... Ladies and gentlemen, a unique attraction. It hurts me to see you stand there and miss this. Only ten cents, one dime, the tenth part of a dollar to go through the old haunted mill and get the thrill of your life. An overstatement, if you ask me. One ticket, please. <laughs> 
Did you say one ticket, lady? That's right, one ticket. What's the thrill? A big pardon, lady. I said, what's the thrill? Lady, the gals who come here with their boyfriends don't have to ask that. And some please sit playing behind the gate. Thank you. Step right up, ladies and gentlemen. Get your ticket for the old haunted needle, where ghosts will walk and call to... Give me some tickets. Uh, just a minute, young fella. I know you want to get into the old haunted needle, but there's plenty of time. How many tickets? I don't know. You better give me ten. Ten tickets. You hear that, ladies and gentlemen? Here's a young fella who likes the old haunted mill so much, he buys ten tickets. Don't call everybody's attention. Listen, I've got a better idea. Whatever boat comes after mine, yeah. I'll give you an extra dollar to send that boat through empty. Now, what's the matter, son? Are the cops I ain't after you, are they? No, 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 no. It's nothing like that. Will you do it? Well, let me talk, young fella. Okay, go ahead. Isn't there an empty boat here? Well, really? You've got such a great objection to riding in the same boat with me? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean that at all. Don't misunderstand. Then you'd better get in if you want to go. This boat's starting to move. <laughs> yeah, I, I... I'd better sit down. You certainly had. Look here, I, I... I want to apologize. That's quite unnecessary. This place is rather childish anyway, isn't it? Yes. Isn't it? But I've seen everything else, so I may as well see this. Here we go in the dark. What was that? Uh, one of the ghosts, I imagine. From a machine. It sounded like him laughing. There isn't anybody in the boat behind us, is there? I can't see. It's pitch dark. Listen, Miss... Uh, uh, Miss... My name is Andrews. Betty Andrews. If it's customary to exchange names in a place like this. Mine's Pendrel. Bob Pendrel. Did you say Pendrel? Yes. Do you know it? Oh, no. No, not exactly. It's an unusual name, that's all. I... I don't want you to think I'm out of my mind, though I very nearly am. But I've got five hours to go. Just five hours. At the end of that time, either I'll have won $25,000 or or else... Or else? Or else I'll be dead. (laughs) You know, I wish I'd kept you away from this boat. There's nothing to get alarmed about. For you. I can't tell you much, but I had to tell somebody that or I'd have started yelling. There's just one other thing. Is there... In these places, they've usually got little dim-lighted rooms along the way. Yes, exhibits and things. Yes. Well, when we come to one, I'm going to get out of this boat and hide there. Just don't get alarmed, and don't tell anybody when you go out. Why should you do that? I think I see a light ahead. There is a light, but... Dim, too. That's all for the good. It's... Yes. We're coming around the corner. Look, I'm going to have company when I get off. A waxed dead man on a pile of straw. Oh, I hope I can stand these noises. Goodbye, Betty Andrews. I wish we'd met at a different time. Mind the boat. Here, what are you doing? Getting off, too. Don't be an idiot. What's the idea? You need looking after, Mr. Pendrel. And if we must hide, I suppose this is as good a place as any. I won't have it. Quick, quick. There'll be more boats along. Hold behind that dead man on the straw. He'll hide us. Hurry. Now, Mr. Pendrel, in the queerest place I ever get into, please tell me what this is all about. I can't tell you. You said it yourself. If you don't tell somebody, you go crazy. <sighs> Maybe you're right. It's against the strict terms of the bet. But this is the last day. And I tell you, I can't hold out any longer. Lower your voice, lower your voice. It's about coming. <laughs> I wonder... I wonder if you ever heard of my stepfather, John Destry. Yes. I imagine everybody has. He's a millionaire and... And I'm not. I'm just a chemist, an analytical chemist, not very successful. 
So if I'd had time, if I'd had money, I might have worked out a process that would have... Well, I think it would have helped in the war. But he's got money. Yes, he's got money. Well, my mother died years ago. This this Nestor's a, a big, white-haired, fine-looking fellow. You'd think butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. He's got an apartment in the East 60s. Secretary, I never met her. Ballot, cook, that kind of thing. Well, he used to invite me there. I wouldn't go. Then he got hold of a book I had to have. A German work on chemicals. So I went. After dinner in that study of his, over the brandy... My dear Robert, you're quite welcome to the book. Don't mention it. Oh, uh, what do you think of this brandy, by the way? <laughs> it's excellent, thanks. Yes, yes, I thought you'd like it. And now that we're all relaxed, comfortable after dinner, tell me something. Yes, Mr. Destry. You hate me, don't you? <laughs> Frankly, I do. Always have. Good, good. <laughs> then you'll be relieved to hear I've always felt the same about you. <laughs> But tell me something else. Did you ever know me to break my word? No, I never did. I'll give you that. I asked you, Robert, because uh, I want to make a little bet with you. That is, uh, if you have the nerve, which I doubt. (laughs) I'm afraid I can't afford to make bets. Uh, You were always careless with money, Robert. (laughs) Well, I've been thrifty. I saw that when your mother was alive. But you can afford to make this bet. Look here. In my desk. Well? $25,000, Robin. $25,000 in five $100 bills. And what would I have to bet against that? Your life. My life? There's the money in the drawer. Look at it. What wouldn't you give for that money? What wouldn't you give to have it for this precious work of yours that you're so fond of (laughs) and that you've failed in... Miserably. So far I've failed, yes. Well, I've had a fairly good life as lives go. My heart isn't as good as it might be, but doctors say I'll last a little while yet. But before I go, there's one pleasure, one little exquisite thrill for me to experience. I want to commit a murder. Yes, I said a murder. My bet is that I can kill you within six months and that you can't stop me and that I'll never be punished for it. What do you say? Yes or no? I believe you mean that. Of course I mean it. And just how would you propose to kill me? Ah, that would be telling. You know, if I had time to think this thing over... There's no thinking it over. Now, yes or no? Yes. (laughs) You must need the money badly, Robert. I do need it. But oddly enough, Mr. Destry, that isn't why I'm doing this. No? No. I want to show you you can't play the Lord Almighty and get away with it. Are you challenging me? Yes. You don't think I can do it? I know you can't. We we mustn't get excited, Robert. Uh, There will be conditions to the bet, you understand? What conditions? First of all, you'll never mention this matter to anyone. All right. That seems fair enough. 
You'll remain within the city limits of New York for six months. You'll spend at least one hour of every day walking the open streets alone. All right. You'll spend at least one hour every evening in your own room alone. I may come to see you or uh, <laughs> I may not. Hmm. Trying to scare me already, are you? Finally, you'll write out a little note and give it to me. There's pen and paper on the desk in front of you. Write it now. Let's hear what I have to write before I do anything like that. You will write, I am a failure. You can't stop harping on that, can you? I am a failure. And this was the only way out. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. A suicide note? Yes. I intend to use it when I, uh, <laughs> operate. And if I won't write it? Ooh. Then there's no bet. All right, I'll do it. Hmm. It's now, uh, let's see, nine o'clock on the night of January the 10th. If you're alive and not in a madhouse... Does that go into the bargain, too? Yes. At nine o'clock on the night of June 10th, given those conditions, you will receive $25,000. Can't you hear the dice rattle, Robert? <laughs> you're playing with death now. I know it. Uh, aren't you going to finish your brandy? No, thank you. Oh, then uh, pour it back into the decanter. You heard me. Pour it back into the decanter. If you were as careful as I am, you, uh, you wouldn't be where you are now. That's right. Always be thrifty. I can promise you, by the way, that you'll always be perfectly safe as long as you're in this apartment. But that's the only concession I make. Oh. I notice your hands are steady uh, at the moment. I wonder what they'll be like a month from now. Fool enough to make a bet with John Destry. Listen, Betty. I want to tell you what else happened the same night. I got on a Fifth Avenue bus and started to look through that book that Destry gave me. It was a book that I wanted about poisons. Well, just as I opened it, I felt something sharp prick my fingers. I looked down, and my hands were covered with blood. He had sewn safety razor blades in a line down the inside edge of the cover. Oh, no! Yeah. A little white card fell out of the book. And I read it. It said, See how easy it is to take you off guard? Those razor blades aren't poisoned. But they might have been. Take warning. Betty, that was six months ago. Six months less five hours of careful, refined torture. And now, I've got only five hours to go. What's he done in the meantime? Nothing. Nothing? I don't understand. Nothing at all. That's the cleverness of it. He's left me waiting, waiting, waiting. Expecting something. Expecting it every hour of the day or night. Once at the laboratory where I work, I opened a box that I thought was from a chemical supply house. And the Mexican tarantula, one of those furry spiders about as big as your fist, oh, no. ran out across my hand. It was a toy tarantula. He enclosed a card, asking whether I didn't admire it. But this can't go on. I used to think I didn't have a nerve in my body. I could hold a test tube at arm's length absolutely steady for minutes at a time. 
Now look at me. Don't, please, don't. But the waiting's almost over now. Walking the streets, wondering who's behind you. Sitting alone at night, listening for every step on the stair. He's got very little time left now, and he's got to do something. The question is, what's he going to do? Well, maybe he doesn't mean it. Maybe, maybe he's only doing it to scare you. And lose all that money? Oh, you don't know my stepfather. Listen. Huh? I, I don't hear anything. That's just it. There's no sound of running water. The boats have stopped. Then we're all by ourselves in here. Or with him. Yes. Oh, Lord, how I wish I hadn't gotten you into this. Oh, I'm all right. Uh, or at least I think I am. I thought I saw him in the crowd outside, but I couldn't be sure. I, I'm seeing him everywhere. Now, Bob, just a minute. Just tell me one more thing. Did you ever see Mr. Destry? I mean, face to face... After that first night? Many times. He came to see you? He came to my laboratory once, yes, but mostly I went to see him. And why? Because it was the only place in the world I could feel safe. He's promised that nothing should happen to you while you were in his apartment. Don't you see? It was part of the torture. Night after night he'd invite me. And I'd go. Right up until last night. Last night. We were in that study of his. With the devil masks on the walls. He was sitting behind the big mahogany desk. Oh, my dear Robert, I'm pleased and uh, even touched to have you here on the last night before you... Uh... <laughs> Before you... Why don't you say die and get it over with? Oh, well, let's not say die. No, the clergy contend that we never die. We only change. Now, let that be a consolation for you. Uh, must you be going so early? There's that one-hour-at-home rule to our bet, if you remember. I remember. <laughs> You're keeping to the rule. Yes, and I mean to beat you at this if it's the last thing I ever do. The last thing I ever do. <laughs> That's an unfortunate choice of phrase, Robert. <laughs> My boy, you haven't a chance. Something's going to happen to you within the next 24 hours when you least expect it. Will you answer me one question? If I choose. Have you decided how you mean to kill me? I decided that six months ago. And you still think you can get away with it? It's a method which has never been known to fail. I give you my word of honor on that. Is it... Is it sudden? Yes, uh, and no. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know what it is? Good night, Mr. Destry. I, I think I'd better be leaving. No, no, my dear boy, you mustn't go yet. Sit down. Pour yourself a glass of brandy. No, thanks. Uh, then perhaps you wouldn't mind pouring me a little. Uh, my doctor allows brandy, though I'm forbidden spirits. I, uh, I notice your hands are shaking quite a good deal. They weren't like that six months ago, were they? No, no. You were full of confidence then. Oh. <laughs> and it grieves me to see you waste tobacco by lighting a cigarette and putting it out immediately. Well, it's no use lying to you. But I'm going to beat you just the same. You wouldn't like to back out now? After what I've been through? You'd still have your life. I'll keep it, thanks. Mm, that's very unwise of you, Robert. Still, 
You must decide. Oh, I was expecting my secretary a little later to dictate some letters. But now, um, I think I'll leave her a message that I've gone to bed and uh, turn in myself. Tomorrow is likely to prove an interesting day for both of us. Here's your hat. Here's your briefcase. And let me wish you a fond, peaceful, and happy good night. <laughs> It's less than four hours now. If I can keep away from the old devil until nine o'clock. I wish those boats would start running again. Why? Because it's almost as spooky in here as a real old mill. I know. Even that whack dummy on the straw. Any minute now. You're I... expecting to see him move? So am I. Now don't stand up. It doesn't matter. If the boats aren't running, we can hear anybody who comes along. I hope so. Do you think Destry's got in? Robbie can't have got in. He can't even be here. Why not? Because Mr. Destry told me. Mr. Destry told you. I'm his secretary. <laughs> you know, Betty Andrews, I'm sorry it was you who did this. Did what? You can't guess, can you? Oh, Bob, I didn't come here to trap you or spy on you. If that's what you're thinking, I swear I didn't. No. You only got me to tell you the whole story and lose my bet. I haven't heard a single word you said. Bob, please believe this. He didn't send you here, of course. No, no. And of course you never saw me at his apartment last no, night. No, I swear I didn't. I got there late. He'd gone to bed. I didn't even take off my hat or gloves before I left again. Don't you understand, Bob? I hate him, too. I want to see you beat him. You've got to beat him. You mean that? Look at me and see if I mean it. Betty, I almost believe you. You must believe me. And... Anything else? You better hide behind that dead man, hurry. Those boats have started up again. I wish I could tell you, Betty, what that means to me. Come on, come on, hurry. Wait a minute, Juju. But stay just where you are. Where's that voice coming from? Along the tunnel, I think. But it's not Destry's voice. No, it's a man standing up in a boat. He's coming around the corner. I can see him now. Hurry. The old haunted mill, eh? My golly, if this ain't some place to make a pinch, I never heard of one. What do you mean? Make a pinch? Just what I said. Your name, Robert Penrill? Yes. Who are you and what do you want? Police headquarters. You're here to come along with me. I want to see you over in New York. About what? I wouldn't know, lady. But it might be about the murder of John Destry. Oh, no! Did you say the murder of John Destry? That's right. Somebody poisoned him last night with mercury cyanide. I wouldn't have got you at all, maybe, if the barker outside there hadn't thought the cops were after you to start with. Betty... Yes, Bob? He's beaten me. He hasn't beaten you. Oh, yes, he has. And I know now the weapon Destry was going to use in killing me. What weapon? It never fails. The electric chair. You mustn't talk like that. Don't you see? He never once intended to kill me in the way I thought. Are you coming quietly, Mr. Pendle? Just a minute. He's poisoned himself. But he's left evidence to show I did it. He's killing me the worst way possible. He's won the bet. The money doesn't matter now. If I'm in the death house for murder, what use have I got for all the money in the world? (laughs) 
General. Let me introduce myself. My name's Mullen, Inspector Mullen. It's a pleasure to meet you, Inspector. It's a pleasure to be safe again. I've had you brought here to my office for a little quiet talk. You're in a jam, son. I want you to realize how bad it is. You think I don't realize it? John Destry was poisoned with mercury cyanide administered in a glass of brandy. And only my fingerprints were on the glass besides his own. I can guess. Mr. Destry's body was found this morning lying behind the desk in the study. There was an empty glass with traces of brandy and cyanide. We haven't had the full autopsy report, but the smell of that stuff is pretty distinctive. Tell me uh, you're a chemist, Mr. Penderell. That's right. The boys find that eight grains of mercury cyanide are missing from your laboratory. Where he visited me a month ago. And in your briefcase, which you took away from his apartment last night... He handed it to me. I remember. We found over a thousand dollars in cash. Now, take a look at this note. <laughs> Ever see it before? Look. Yes. I wrote it. You admit that? Yes, yes, yes. It says, I was a failure and this was the only way out. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Where did you find it? Torn up in little bits. You started to write a confession and then you couldn't face the consequences. But you shouldn't have left the pieces behind. You're intimate, my boy. Unless... Unless what? Now, if you'd like to confess here and now, and maybe we did a little deal about second-degree murder... Oh, why... Inspector, why bother to string me along? What do you mean, string you along? There's no second-degree murder on a poison charge. It's the death house and nothing. He saw to that. Too bad you had to go and kill him, son. Didn't you know he had an aneurysm? A what? Fatal heart disease. He said that he had heart trouble, but... Heart trouble. His doctor says he couldn't have lived eight or ten months anyway. And you might have got something in the will. So that's why he did it. Did what? Killed himself. You still stick to that crazy story you told the boy? He's going to kill me, isn't he? With 3,000 volts of electricity. Inspector Mullen. What are you doing here, Sergeant? Didn't I say I wasn't to be disturbed? All the same, Inspector. I thought I'd better do it. There's a young lady here, a Miss Betty Andrews. I think you'd better see her. I'll see her when I'm good and ready. And I think you'd better see her, Inspector. We've just heard from Mr. Destry's lawyer. Well? He said that that young fellow there, Mr. Pendrell, inherits 25,000 bucks in Mr. Destry's new will. Did you hear that, son? Do you see what you'd have gotten if you hadn't gone and killed him? He was keeping his promise, that's all. A fine lot of good it'll do me now. But look, Inspector, I've just talked to the medical examiner, and he says there's no poison in Mr. Destry's body. Say that again? There's no poison in the old man's body. Somebody's kidding you. An empty glass with the smell of mercury cyanide and a dead man with a congested face behind the mask? What did kill him then? Well, you'd like to listen to Miss Andrews, Inspector. She's right here now. I think you'd better listen, Inspector. I've been trying to tell you all afternoon. Go ahead, Miss Andrews. I've been over and over it. Until I got the medical report, nobody would listen. Can you tell us what killed John Destry? Yes. Poison killed But the sergeant's just been saying there was no poison in the body. Inspector, will you listen? I was at Mr. Destry's apartment late last night. Well, so what? Uh, you didn't kill him, did you? The servant said he'd gone to bed. So I looked into the study to see if there were any instructions. Was Mr. Destry dead then? I don't know. I couldn't see his body because it was hidden behind the desk. I didn't even learn he was dead until late this afternoon. But I did see a full glass of brandy. Uh, a full glass, did you say? Yes. So I picked up the glass and poured the brandy back into the decanter. That's what he always made us do. And I didn't leave any fingerprints because I was still wearing my gloves. And... 
That was the same flash you later found empty. But you still are not telling us what was the poison that killed John Destry. It was the poison in his own system. He worked out this plot to convict Bob Pendrell. Only just as he stretched out his hand to drink the cyanide... Inspector, I think I see it. It was his last great hour. He couldn't resist such gloating as he'd never known before. That's it. His heart wouldn't stand it. And he fell dead behind the desk. And I think, if you study the expression on his face... You'll find he died laughing. And so ends Will You Make a Bet with Death? Tonight's story of Suspense. The part of Bob Pendrell was played by Michael Fitzmorris. Betty was played by Leslie Woods. John Destry was played by Nicholas Joy. And in supporting roles were Ted DeCorsia and Charles Slattery. Again next Tuesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Wartime. A story dedicated to the thrill of the nighttime. The hushed voice. The prowling step. Another adventure in... Suspense. William Spear, the producer. Mark Sloeb, the director in the absence of John Dietz. And John Dixon Carr, the author... Our collaborators on... Suspense. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for My Friend Irma next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for My Friend Irma. Dependable, level-headed Jane began each weekly radio program by narrating a misadventure of her innocent, bewildered roommate Irma, a scatterbrained stenographer from Minnesota. The two central characters were in their mid-twenties, and tonight we hear how they first met. The Columbia Broadcasting System presents a new comedy. My Friend Irma. Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane with John Brown as Al. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship. When other friendships have been forgotten, theirs will still be hot love, love, love. Sure, it's something to sing about. They can sing about it maybe because they haven't any friends. But I'm singing the blues about it because I've got a friend. My friend Irma. Now, don't get me wrong. I love that girl. Most people do. It's just that Mother Nature gave some girls brains, intelligence, cleverness. But with Irma, well, Mother Nature slipped her a Mickey. I will never forget the first time I met her. I was walking along looking for a place to live in New York, and by a strange coincidence, I am having a very tough time. And I keep bumping into people, and I keep saying, I beg your pardon. Excuse me. Excuse me until... Oh, oh, excuse me. I just never look where I'm going. I just keep walking with my head high. Just like the doctor told me, I'm taking deep breaths, inhaling and exhaling like this. And I keep counting to myself. One, two, three. Look, miss, will you stop counting long enough to help me up? 
Oh, of course, you must be uncomfortable on your knees. Oh! <laughs> oh, no, not at all, honey. I'd love it down here if I was Al Jolson. <laughs> Did you see that picture, the Jolson story? I just loved it. I cried and cried. Fine, fine. Now, would you please help me up? Oh, certainly. Here, give me your hand. Oh, my, what a beautiful ring. You know, my, my boyfriend, Al, he was going to get me one just like that. We had it all picked out, only you know what happened? It wouldn't fit your nose. <laughs> well, it wasn't for my nose. It was for my finger. It wouldn't fit my nose. I wish it had. I could have pulled myself up. <laughs> oh, oh, you want to get up, don't you? Yeah, yes, if you please. I can't make much time crawling. I can't either. I always walk. Well, uh, here we go. Up to the daisy. Oh, careful, your dress. Oh, we ripped it, didn't we? <laughs> yes, we did. Uh, but you know something? They're wearing split skirts in New York this year. <laughs> yeah, I know, but not all the way up to the neck. <laughs> hey, uh, we haven't been introduced yet. My name's Irma. What's yours? Goodbye. Oh, what an unusual name. What's your last name? Forever. That's a pretty name, Miss. Goodbye forever. Oh, Irma. That's when I should have run, but I didn't. Apartments are too hard to find these days, and Irma, bless her heart, is really a sweet kid. So I moved in with her in that one-room furnished freight elevator she called home. Jane, the telephone's ringing. Jane, the telephone's ringing. Aren't you going to answer it? I don't know if it's for me. <laughs> well, take a chance. Take a chance. It's not your nickel. Hello? I mean, hello? Uh, yes, yeah, she's here. Jane, it's for me. Irma? <laughs> You know, if Marconi knew that you were going to use the telephone, he never would have invented it. Oh, Jane, I'm surprised at you. <laughs> Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone, not Marconi. You see, I'm beginning to think like you. <laughs> Everybody knows that Marconi invented spaghetti. Irma, the telephone. Oh, hello? Al? Jane, it's Al. What are you waiting for? Run down to the police station with the bail. Oh, don't be silly. He's not in jail. Hello, Al? Eh? I? Oh, you? <laughs> That's enough for the vowels, Irma. Now try the consonants. <laughs> okay, Al. Goodbye. Jane, Al's coming over. Oh, honey. Why do you have to spoil our Sunday by having that jobless, phony windbag of an Al over? Jane? Yes? What's your opinion of Al? <laughs> I like him. I think he's a live wire, and it's just a matter of time before they hook him up and put a chair under him. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't pick on Al, because someday I hope to be... Mrs. Al. Oh, sweetie. Oh, sweetie, look, I didn't mean it. Now, stop sniffling. You'll ruin your pretty face with your mascara. Come on. But I love Al. Yeah, I know you do, Irma. That's the reason I'm hard on him. 
I want to be sure that the guy who gets my little Irma's heart's got a big enough heart to match it. Gee, thanks, Jane. <laughs> Gee, wouldn't it be wonderful if I married Al and you could, and we could have a double wedding? A double wedding? How do you figure that? It would be if you married Richard Rhinelander III. That was my blood pressure rising. She would mention his name. You see, Richard Rhinelander III is my boss, and I'm his private secretary. I'm in love with him, but I have no chance to marry him because he's Richard Rhinelander III, and I'm Jane Stacy I. Oh, I've tried everything to impress him. I even told him I lived in a very intellectual atmosphere and that my roommate is a promising young novelist. Oh, Stacy, you fool, you. If he ever finds out how you live and what a mental midget Irma really is, you must end up <laughs> right between the eight, nine, and ten ball. Gee, I'd love to marry him. Irma, wouldn't it be wonderful if I wound up being Mrs. Richard Rhinelander the third? The third? What good is that if he has two other wives? <laughs> you know, I won't even stop to answer that one. Gee, I... I couldn't marry a wealthy man and have to go to the opera. I don't know a thing about Shakespeare. <laughs> Honey, with five million dollars, all you've got to know about Shakespeare is that he's dead and you're alive. <laughs> well, let's forget Mr. Rhinelander. I'll never marry him because there's a difference in family. His ancestors were Mayflower people. Gee, they made all that money out of donuts? <laughs> If you say another word to me, I'll scream. Well, if you do, you'll wake up Professor Kropotkin, the violinist downstairs, and he needs sleep. Irma, I'm going to take a bath. Well, Jane, don't use all the hot water. Uh, this is the day we wash the dishes. <laughs> Hello? Uh, who did you want to talk to? Jane? Who's this? Oh, Mr. Richard Rylander. Uh, well, Jane's busy. You want to hang on for about 20 minutes? <laughs> yes, this is Irma, her roommate. How's my book? Oh, I finished it and I'm starting another. <laughs> Hard on me. No, you know those giant comics are mostly pictures. <laughs> oh, I'd like to meet you too, Mr. Rhinelander. Say, I've got an idea. Why don't you dash over for dinner tonight? Huh? Oh, it's no bother. Oh, we'd love to have you. And, uh, by the way, if it's not inconvenient, uh, ask your mother to bake us some donuts. <laughs> uh, remember, see you at 7.30, and don't bother to dress. It's strictly au gratin. <laughs> now, who could that be? Uh, come in. Hiya, chicken. How are you? Hello, Al, honey. Gee, I'm glad you came over. I didn't think I could make it. Took time off from three deals that were just simmering, dying to burst into flame. Stuff like stucco bathtubs, scratch while you bathe. <laughs> Tremendous projects. Oh, Al, you're always talking business. Got to be on my toes, honey, if you and I ever expect to settle down in that cozy little 30-room cottage. Oh, gee, Al, I'd just love to hear you talk like that. Come over here a minute, honey, and look in my eyes. What do you see? Murine. Now, <laughs> there's another great moneymaker Wish I'd thought of that Al, I know how ambitious you are But can't you forget business and be a little more romantic? Well, I'd love to, kid But in order to give you the good things in life 
I got to start thinking about this big deal I got brewing. Oh, gee, Al, if your deal comes through, maybe you and I could settle down on a little ranch. I can see it now, the egg and Irma. <laughs> Hiya, Janie, what's oh. the good word? Jane, Al's got a big deal on it. And what a deal. I just happened to line up no less than $100,000 worth of surplus army goods. Gee, Al, what kind of surplus are you going to sell? Rip cords. <laughs> Rip cords? This is a big deal. I got a pajama manufacturer lined up to take the whole lot of them. <laughs> I even got an advertising gimmick with these rip cords. Listen to this. You get up in the morning and bail out of your pajama. <laughs> you like it, Jane? I don't know how I ever lived this long without it. And, and that ain't all. This is a big promotion. You take a two-page ad in life showing a picture of a beautiful girl ready to retire. And underneath the caption... Hit the silk. <laughs> yeah. How'd you know? It figures. I think it's wonderful. Uh, what do you think, Jane? You know the whole thing has tired me out? I'm going back and take another shower. <laughs> you see, chicken, I'm a beaten man. Jane doesn't believe in me. Well, that's not true. Jane likes you, Al. She always takes two showers on Sunday. I see. One for herself and one for those dirty looks she gives me. <laughs> and besides, Al, once you get to know Jane, you'll realize that her bark is worse than her tree. <laughs> You know, honey, I wouldn't say this to anybody else, but things are going so badly for me lately that I may be forced to do something desperate. Al, you're going to get a job? Irma, watch your language. <laughs> I'm sorry, Al, I only... A job? Thought... Irma, supposing a man like me would consent to go to work, say, for a bank, at a small starting salary of $500 a week. Naturally, somebody like me moves fast. At the end of a year, I'm making 1000 a week as a second vice president. In two years, I'm making 2000 a week as a first vice president. In ten years' time, I'm president of the bank and I got $100,000. Where do I go from there? I'm in a rut. But, Al... Irma, I'm in a rut now, and it didn't take me ten years to get there. So you see how foolish it would be for me to get a job. You understand, kid? It's clear to me, Al. It is? Well, I'm glad. You're a great girl, and you deserve the best. But I don't want the best. I want you, Al. <laughs> you know, the brakes have always been against me. It'd be different if I wasn't a practical man, but my deals are so sound. It's all a question of the brakes. Gee, Al, I wish there was something I could do to help you. Thanks, chicken. But a guy like me with my ideas has got to mix with the right people. If I could only meet a man who's a millionaire. Well, Al, suppose you met a millionaire who's got money besides... Irma, what do you mean? Well, Al, I'm throwing a dinner party tonight Dinner party? Uh-huh, yes, I've invited James Boss over You know, the millionaire Richard Rhinelander III Richard Rhinelander III? Yeah, she's crazy about him And I thought an intimate gathering would bring them together socially And financially, it would bring the two of you together So why don't you just surprise us and drop over casually after dinner And bring your ideas The millionaire Richard Rhinelander III you know, Irma, if a guy like me, with my ideas, could meet a millionaire like James Boss, it'd be a natural combination. Oh, wonderful, Al. It'll be perfect. I can kill you and Jane with one stone. <laughs> but uh, won't Jane mind my coming? No, it's a surprise party. She doesn't even know Richard Rylander's coming. <laughs> Thanks, baby. You're a genius. <laughs> 
I'll be there. Oh, before you go, Al, uh, haven't you forgotten something? Huh? Oh, yeah. What time does Rhinelander get here? <laughs> Hermes, Al left you. Oh. Just leave her now. So long, ladies. See you later. Uh, honey, be careful going home. There's a crime wave on. Yeah, Al, keep your hat turned down. You don't want to get picked up. <laughs> you fracture me. So long, chicken. See you later. We're having a dinner party? Yes. I've invited your boss, Richard Rhinelander, to dinner tonight. You invited my boss to dinner tonight? Here? Irma, how could you? It was simple. He called up and asked to talk to you, and you were busy, so I invited him. Oh, no. This is all a dream. And after dinner, Al's going to drop over, and if Professor Kropotkin comes up, it'll be a wonderful party. Oh, no. This is a nightmare. Give me that phone. Maybe it's not too late to stop him. Oh, dear. Hello? Hello, is Mr. Rhinelander there? He's not? Well, could you please tell me where he went? He left to go to a dinner party at a Miss Jane Stacy's. Thank you. Jane, Jane, what are you doing? Nothing. Just writing a suicide note. And now the sportsman with Lud Gluskin and his orchestra and their own special arrangement of... Good night, ladies. Good night, ladies. Good night, ladies. We're gonna leave you now. Merrily we roll along, roll along, roll along. Merrily we roll along o'er the deep blue sea. O'er the deep blue sea. coming to dinner. Now I'm really trapped because I told him that I lived in an artistic neighborhood and that my roommate was a budding novelist. How could I justify having him sit around with that, that scintillating duo of conversationalists Irma and Al? Mr. Rhinelander is expecting an evening based on table talk a la information, please. What he's going to get is people are funny or it pays to be ignorant. <laughs> Well, finally, 7.30 rolled around. The bottle of martinis was catching a chill in the icebox, and I was running a fever in the living room. Richard would be arriving at any minute, and Irma wasn't ready. Irma, sweetie, it's 7.30. I-, I know, Jane. I'm just getting into my dress. How do you like it? Don't you think you ought to get a little further into it? <laughs> Al likes his dress. Al would, but Mr. Rhinelander wouldn't. 
Now, come on, huh? You've got just time to waltz this broom around a few times. Okay. Irma, huh? No, no, don't sweep the dirt under the rug. Man downstairs has been complaining. Complaining? Yeah, you know, that hole in the floor. Jane, I have a wonderful idea. Why don't we take the rug off, and then with a hole in the ceiling, we'll have cross ventilation. Oh. (laughs) Irma, I'm so nervous. Well, don't worry. I'll handle everything. Uh, Haven't you confidence in me? Well, certainly I have. Well, then why are you shaking? I always shake like this before I have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> now, now, Irma, let, let's not be nervous, huh? Let's, let's just take it easy. Uh, now, let's see. First, we, uh, we serve the martinis, and then... I, uh, don't, I don't have to drink a martini, do I, Jane? What's that got to do with it? I'd rather have milk. <laughs> well, how can you drink milk when we're drinking martinis? Oh, I know. I'll drink milk, but I'll put an olive in it. <laughs> oh, Irma. He's here. Oh, she's here. Now, now listen to me, Irma. I, I'm not worried. I, I'm not worried. I've, I've got confidence in you, and I know you'll do everything right, because if you don't, I think I'll kill myself and then you. Now, you ready? Okay. Irma, put the broom away. Come in. I beg your pardon, but does Jane Stacy let... Oh, of course. Good evening, Jane. I didn't recognize you for a moment. That's because you didn't take the curlers out of her hair. <laughs> Silly of me. Uh, come in. Come in, Mr. Rhinelander. May I present my roommate, Irma? How do you do? Hello. Irma, would you mind taking Mr. Rhinelander's hat? I can't. Why not? His head is still in it. <laughs> oh. Oh, I'm sorry. Here it is. Irma, now that you have Mr. Rhinelander's hat, would you mind taking the broom away from him? Oh. <laughs> Irma. <laughs> Now that you have the broom, would you mind taking Mr. Rhinelander's hat away from me? Oh. Won't you sit down, Mr. Rhinelander? Oh, thank you, Jane, but you don't have to be so formal. My friends always call me Richard. Thank you. Cigarette, Richard? Thank you. Match, Richard? Thank you. Ashtray, Richard? Thank you. Cigarette, Irma? Thank you. Match, Irma? Thank you. Ashtray, Irma? No, thank you. I don't smoke. <laughs> You writers, you're all alike. Witty and eccentric. Yes, I knew you'd like Irma's wit. It's so, uh, so natural. Yes, so I noticed. My, what a charming apartment you have here. When will the remodeling be finished? Remodeling? (laughs) Remodeling, this is it. Yes, yes, it's small, it's small, but our neighbors are so interesting, uh, artists, writers... Uh, musicians, you know. For instance, there's a very famous violinist who lives downstairs. He's uh, Professor Kropotkin. Kropotkin? Kropotkin? Yeah, he plays in the Paradise Burlesque. <laughs> now, have you ever been there? Well, I don't think so. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, you wouldn't have seen him anyway because he plays a violin under the runway. <laughs> yes, uh, a lot of our neighbors are eccentric, but they're all artistic. Oh, I know what you mean. A charming environment. Yes. You know, it's hot in here. I think I'll open the window. Hey, Mrs. Flanagan! Did you hear the news about Johnny O'Toole downstairs? Last night he came home, roaring drunk, and staggered up the stairs. Shall we go into dinner? If I live to be the oldest woman in the United States and Canada, I'll never forget that dinner. It started off with Irma taking from the right and serving from the left. 
She also did a little dropping in the middle. <laughs> and Mr. Rhinelander looked very fetching wearing a hamburger over his right eye. <laughs> then we got to the dessert. And it seems that Irma had put the dessert in the wrong tray in the icebox. It was the first time I'd ever tasted cauliflower sherbet. <laughs> so much for the food. The conversation was a monster in its own right. Richard said, uh, Fortunately, I've been able to travel considerably. Irma, do you like to travel? And Irma said, Oh, yes, it's really the only way to get any place. <laughs> well, finally it was over, and we decided to have our coffee in the living room. Well, Jane, that was an excellent dinner. Thank you. Wonderful food. That's nothing unusual. We always have food for dinner. <laughs> oh, Irma, you have a priceless wit. Hasn't she, Jane? She has? Oh, yes, she has. <laughs> you know, Mr. Rylander, I envy Jane working for you. Yes, the investment business can be exciting, but, you know, I wish I had more time for sports. Oh, you do love sports, don't you, Richard? Yes, I don't like to brag or appear stuffy, but at college I won my letter in six different sports. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And weren't you voted the, the best-looking man on the campus? Oh, well, Jane, that was only kid stuff. But getting back to sports, since going into business with Dad, he sort of kept me hopping. You know how the office is, but, Jane, with you being the capable secretary you are, I, I've been able to find some time for squash and badminton at the athletic club. Oh, well, personally, I love golf. It's such an exciting game, and yet it's so simple. Yes, but you know, tennis has a dash of that same excitement. I, I swim, ride horseback, play tennis, bowl, and shoot pool. <laughs> Irma, do you really do all those things? No, but I have to keep up my end of the conversation. <laughs> More coffee, Richard. No, thank you. Well, I think you're wise. Coffee does keep one awake. Yes, coffee does have that effect on me. How about you, Irma? They've got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. <laughs> Irma, we know you're in the conversation, dear. Just take it easy. Well, okay, I think I'll open the window. No, don't. No, Irma, the window. No. Chilly out tonight, isn't it, Richard? <laughs> well, now let's get down to business. When are you two going to get married? Irma! <laughs> oh, Richard, I, I really don't know what to say. Well, I... Irma, really, I, I'm, I'm very fond of Jane, but of course you know there's my father. Your father? Let him get his own girl. <laughs> Oh, Irma. Oh, come in. Hi, folks. What a surprise. Look, Jane, it's Al. The next sound you hear is Jane Stacy blowing her brains out. <laughs> Al, I'd like you to meet Richard Rhinelander III. Richard, this is my boyfriend, Al. How do you do? Well, hiya, Richard. Heard a lot about you. Richard, wouldn't you care to go to a movie or something? Oh, no sense in breaking up the party. Let's sit around and chew the fat. Richard's not hungry, Al. We just finished dinner. <laughs> well, Rich, what's new on the street? The street? Yeah, you know, the exchange. Oh, well, cotton was a little slow this past week. Uh-huh. Knew it? What about steel? It's a little off. I know it. Richard, you can see for yourself the handwriting's on the wall. Really? You gotta get out of Wall Street. I do? Oh, absolutely. Sure, you could plug along, making a million here and a million there, but have you got security? <laughs> well, Al, I'm pretty satisfied with the investment business, and I think there's a great future in it for me. Granddad was president, and then father became president, and soon I'll be president. You see what I mean, Arma? 
Yeah, the whole family's in a rut. But it's not too late, Rich. There's a place for you in my organization. Richard, let's go to a movie. No, Jane, let him talk. This whole thing may develop into a merger. Merger? You're right, Irma. Richard, I'm going to make a big man out of you. How would you like to team up with me? Well, I... Now listen to me, Richard. Well... Here's the plan. We've a chance to corner the market on surplus ripcords. We'll go out into the open market. Buy short. Sell long. Bargain. Just like I planned, the boys are in there getting along beautifully. Beautifully. Richard reaches for his wallet, he'll shake hands with Al. Now, Jane. Now, listen to me, Irma. You've ruined me. I should never have moved in with you. But Jane. Don't but Jane me. But I thought. I don't care what you thought. You've ruined everything. Imagine his coming from his mansion on Park Avenue to this dump. Now, to top it off, your your boyfriend, Al, is trying to sell him ripcord. But, Jane, Al's only trying to fix it so he has security. Irma, I've got news for you. Richard Rhinelander III has $5 million he hasn't even counted yet. But after he counts it, what then? He'll be in a rut. (laughs) By inviting him to dinner tonight, you've just ruined me. Now, I'm going back in there, apologize, quit my job, and spend the night at the YWCA. But, Jane, are you a member? No, but I'll join. (laughs) Another thing. The next time we meet on the street, I only want you to say one thing. Goodbye. Will General Motors go for it? Richard, their tongues are hanging out for ripcord. Well, Al, I really don't... I mean, Mr. Rhinelander, I... I can't tell you how sorry I am. I... Sorry? About what? Oh, you know, bringing you down here and having you meet people like Al and Irma. Why, and... Jane, you've I... nothing to be sorry about. I'm delighted to have met two such real people as Al and Irma. And we're delighted to have met a millionaire with money. <laughs> oh, Irma, how could you? Now, now, leave her alone, Jane. That's what I like about Irma now. They're so natural and honest. Oh, Dickie, thank you for that vote of confidence. <laughs> So happy for you, Mr. Rhinelander. Now you can have security. You see, Jane... You see, Richard, you see, you were so wealthy and you live on Park Avenue and everything, and I thought you were coming here. Well, well, I tried to impress you, and I guess I've just been a fool. Well, I don't know what to say. Well, I'd like to say thank you, Jane, for a splendid evening. I like your apartment, and I think Al and Irma are swell. And now, if you've got time, I want you to drop into the office, and maybe we can go into your ripcord proposition at length. Well, I've got to run along now. Goodbye, Jane, and... Please invite me again real soon. Goodbye, Richard. Well, got to run now. Where are you going, honey? Where am I going? Now I got to see where I can get hold of some ripcord. That's my friend Al. And that's my friend Irma. Irma was written and directed by Cy Howard. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nick Carter, followed by Fibber McGee and Molly. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.